Hi Church, I want to share with you a message this weekend entitled Paul's Final Practical Exhortations to the Church. Context. Paul was talking to the Thessalonica church about the end times, about the second coming of Jesus Christ in chapter 4 and uh, in the preceding verses. So, in the light of Paul's, of Jesus' second coming, how then should the church live out its church life? How then should Christians conduct themselves? So this is Paul's final practical exhortations as he closes 1 Thessalonians. Let me pray. Father, even as I share this very, very important message, I want to pray that we will take each and every one of these practical instructions, exhortations seriously so that, Lord, we live out our Christian discipleship in a practical way so that when the world sees us, they see Jesus in us. So help me, Lord, even as I communicate this message that you have given to me, to your church. In Jesus' precious name I pray, Amen and Amen. How does Paul share his final practical exhortations to the church. He does it in a rapid-fire fashion. 15 to 16 exhortations, one after the other, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 28. Now, why does he do that? I don't know. Maybe he ran out of space, maybe he ran out of scroll, maybe he ran out of time, and he wanted to do it quickly so that his first letter to the church in the New Testament can be sent out ASAP. So Paul, in the concluding verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, lists five categories of people or five realms of relationship to whom he addresses his final practical exhortations. Who are these five categories? Final exhortations in relation to pastors in the church, in relation to people in the church, in relation to our postures in the church, in relation to the practices, the spiritual practices of the church, and finally, Paul's end the whole epistle by praying for the church. So let me, first of all, read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 to verse 13. Paul writes, as he concludes the epistle, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work, and live in peace with each other. So the first category of people whom Paul addressed are the pastors. And essentially, he 
tells the church to have three postures or three uh, 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 relationship to the pastors of the church. Number one, appreciate them. Number two, esteem them highly. And number three, cover them in love. Now, before I, I carry on, I want to say this. It's very difficult for me to share this. Why? Because I'm a pastor, you see. So I, 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 it's as if I'm saying, appreciate me, esteem me, cover me in love. Look, look. That's why I find it, it's very weird, right, for me to say this. And I find it quite embarrassing because I'm a pastor. It would be much better if a third party say this rather than me, you see. But what to do, I have allocated this passage, right? So, so frankly, I am a little bit uncomfortable uh, by saying this, but, but I want to say this to, to you all. Um, I don't want you to, to see it as me being self-serving or what I call fishing for compliments. I'm not, okay? And you know me and you know Pastor Lee Chu, those who know us well, that we are not that kind of people. Now, whether you appreciate me or don't appreciate me, I will still love you. I will still serve you. I will still give my best shot to you. I will still nurture you all spiritually. So, so uh, uh, it doesn't really matter, okay? So, but I'm very sure also that as Paul wrote this letter and exhortation to the Thessalonica church, I'm very sure Paul is not saying, appreciate me, appreciate me. No, I'm very sure Paul does not want that. But Paul does say, I want you to appreciate your local pastors because of the type of work they do. So he uses three keywords or three phrases to address the relationship of the church to their pastor. And these are the three words. Number one, respect. Respect them. Esteem them highly. And, and the Greek word in verse 12 of esteem or respect is the word oyada. It is to know. In other words, when Paul says, hey, know, uh, esteem your pastor, respect your pastor, Paul is not saying, hey, please, uh, all the time, give a pat to your pastor in the back. Well done, pastor. Well done. Good message. Not that. He says, know your pastor. It's the same word that Jesus used in Matthew 6 verse 8 when he says, your father knows what you need. In other words, understand your pastor. Get to know him. Get to know the burdens he carries. Get to know the type of work he does. And in understanding it, you will appreciate him. The second word that Paul used in our relationship to pastors is the word admonish. Admonish. It is the Greek word notatu, which is to warn. To warn somebody to avoid something, probably harmful 
or probably dangerous. It is not a negative word. It is likened to a father or a mother warning the child, hey son, don't go near the fire. Hey, don't go near too near the, the cliff edge, you'll fall down. Don't, don't, don't. It's warning your son whom you love not to do certain things so that they are not harmed. It's positive. It is not scolding, understand? So when, when, when we admonish, it is for your good. You know, we, we are doing revelations at the moment. And you hear me, sometimes very highly emotional. Come on, man. Don't, don't be like a daisical anymore. Don't be lukewarm anymore. Come on, man. Uh, come on, don't be mediocre anymore. Get ready. What am I doing? Admonishing. Warning. So that you can get ready, man. So please don't take it as if we are scolding. We are not. Maybe sometimes we get very uptight. Our emotional our, uh, uh, heart uh, rises up. So, so take it positively, understand? Because we mean well. And that's what Paul asked the church to see the pastor's work as admonishing you. In other words, setting you up to win. And the third key word or phrase is the word in love, agape. In other words, Paul is saying, cover your pastors in love. And, and I want to say this, you know, SIBKL is a wonderful church. I, I don't say this glibly. It's a privilege and a pleasure for us to serve you. And I say the same for all the pastors here. You all love us. You, you, you really do. And, and, and I want to say thank you so much. Honestly, from the bottom of our hearts, it's a pleasure to be a pastor in SIBKL. But do you know, I cannot say this uh, for a lot of churches outside, and I know. And if you are from another church, can I share this with you? Please, love your pastor. I always say this, you know, if you cover your pastor in love, you know what it does to him? He feels secure, you see. He feels safe in a loving community. And you know, when a pastor feels secure, loved and safe in that kind of atmosphere, believe me, he will give you his best. Win-win. Don't bash your pastor. I want to say this, my friend, listen to me very carefully. You know, there is one group, one category of person who actually suffer the most in ministry is the wife of the pastor. While everybody Google gaga over the pastor, when they see the wife, they either marginalize her or they criticize her. You know, when I was a Bible school student in Regent College, Vancouver, I had a classmate who, uh, from Malaysia as well, and uh, he was pastoring a Chinese church in 
Wuchong. So I remembered uh, during the early days of our time in Vancouver, we had a gathering of all the Malaysians, uh, uh, pastors and students who were there. And this pastor from Puchong introduced his wife. And I remembered very clearly as I shook the hands of the wife, she was looking blankly in space. She's, did she see me or don't see me? She, she doesn't seem to communicate or relate. And I was taken aback. So I, I, I spoke to my friend. Is there anything wrong with your wife? And he told me very sadly, Wing Chi, my wife had been so battered, so buffeted, so burnt out, criticized in my ex-church that she has gone bonkers. What? Wow, it shocked me. God, but God was so good to this couple. Over the two years that we were together, God healed her, you see. She came back again to her senses. She got back her mind again. And I think at the end of our time, he got a job in Vancouver, pastoring a Chinese church there. God is so good. So, so my friend, can I encourage you all of this? Um, cover your pastor in love. And believe me, he will give you his best. So the second exhortation of Paul is in relation to the people in the church, how they should behave towards one another. And for this, we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 13 to verse 15. And I read, Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong or evil for evil in NKJV, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. So the first practical exhortation that Paul said to encourage the church in Thessalonica in their relationship with one another is, please uh, live in peace with each other. Live in peace with each other. Look, listen, it is the heartfelt desire of every pastor and, and the same for Pastor Lee Chu and I that the church members in SIBKL live in peace with each other. You know, it pains me and I'm very sure it pains all the pastors in the church when we see one member fighting with another member. One member at odds with another member for simple things. In a cell maybe, in a ministry maybe. And, and it pains us because it is a heart of God that we should live in peace with one another, in a staff, among pastors themselves. Listen, this is the heart and the will of God for you and I. 
in the community of the redeemed to be at peace with one another. Uh, but you say to me, Pastor, hey, yeah, it's true. But what happens if that guy don't want to live at peace with me? Huh? Can I encourage you? Don't worry about him. You are responsible for yourself. As far as you are concerned, make peace with him. If he shuns you, if he avoids you and don't want to make peace with you, move on lah. Let God deal with him. Let him grapple with all the strife and all the unrest that he has. But as far as you're concerned, move on. Move on. In fact, let me go one step further. Pray for him. Pray for this person who doesn't want to be at peace with you for reasons known to himself or herself. Come on. Pray that the God of peace, Philippians chapter 4 verse 7, pray that the peace of God will guard his heart and his mind in Christ Jesus and pray. Ephesians 4, verse 2 to 3, Paul says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. The whole undergirding of the church of Jesus Christ must be in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through what? The bond of peace. The second exhortation in relation to people in the church, in the end time church, is warn those who are idle. The word idle is a very interesting word. It's a word ataktos. And if you look at the various translations in the Bible, you get different translations, you know. You know why? Because, for example, in the NKJV and the NASB, it is unruly. Warn those who are unruly. If it is NIV, it's idle. Okay. If it is NLT, it's lazy. And if it is CSB, CSB is a Christian standard Bible, it's irresponsible. So, who, who's right? Which is which? Answer? All are right. All are right. The word ataktos, in classical Greek, um, is used to refer to a soldier who does not want to submit to rank. It's used to, a, to refer to a soldier who doesn't want to walk in line. In other words, the defiant, the unruly, the rebellious. So Paul says, don't be divisive. Don't be like that. Wandos, because this is not the will of God. And then in rapid fire, in relation to people in the church, Paul then lists three exhortations in how we treat the timid, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Why? Uh? Why? The, the word timid in some translations is faint-hearted. Why does Paul want us to encourage the faint-hearted, the weak, and, and be patient with them. Why? Because these people in the church, they are fearful. They are scared. And I can relate it to now. In the midst of all the ravaging of the pandemic, some people are very scared, but no. They're scared of the vaccine. La. They're scared of your economy. La. They're scared of so many things. And it's valid. Hey, not everybody is as strong as you want, no. 
Uh, you think everybody is so, 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 so strong one. Uh? No, there are people in the church who worry, who, who fret a lot. These are the timid, the faint-hearted. So what, what, what must we do to them? Encourage them. That's why Paul says, be patient with them. Lend them strength. Support them. Strengthen them. That's what Paul writes, right? In Ephesians chapter, uh, sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. You see? So, what is our role? Not to look down upon them, but help the weak. Lend them strength. Comfort them. That's what we should do. And the sixth thing that Paul encourages to do in relation to people in the church is very, very important. Number six, do not repay evil for evil. Or NIG, NIV, NIV says wrong for wrong. What does it mean? See, the world says, uh, if he hurt you, take revenge. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's a world standard. But the Bible says no. Do not repay evil for evil. Instead, Romans chapter 12, verse 17 to 19 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, again, he says, live at peace with everyone. Haha, verse 19 is very important. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine or it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So the Christian standard is, don't seek revenge. Move away. Make peace. Why? Because vengeance is of the Lord. And if God says, I would exact revenge for you, uh, hey, that's very thorough, you know. But we leave it to God, understand? We leave it to God. So we don't repay evil for evil. You know, I always say this. At the end of the day, make sure you guard your heart. Come, everybody say this to me, with me. Whether you are in the living room or whether you are in the bedroom, all right, Father, mother, children, say these three words with me loud. Are you ready? One, two, three. Guard your heart. Satu kali lagi. One, two, three. Guard your heart. Don't repay evil for evil because God says, vengeance is mine. So, so uh, don't do this. Then do what? Do this. So, what then should be our posture always is what I call a remove and a replace principle. Not only don't do it, but do this. Three always. 
three postures we always must have. So uh, we always say, uh, never say never, uh, and never say always. Uh, but here, always. What are the three postures? Verse 16, be joyful always. Verse 17, pray always. Verse 18, give thanks always. Always, always, always. These are the three postures we must have, especially in the end time church. Number one, be joyful always. Hey, he didn't say happier. Why? Uh? Ayah, one moment uh, you are happy, next moment you're not happy. Depends on which side of the bed you get up. Get out from right. Because happiness depends on your mood and your hormones. He says be joyful. Joy is from within. Joyfulness is from the inside out. It is much deeper than being happy. Happy hour. No, it's not happiness. You know, you know uh, Pastor Fergus shared a message uh, on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He even remembered saying, even in death, uh, we can be joyful. Why? Yeah, it's sorrowful. Why? Because we miss our loved one. Ma. But we are joyful. Why? Because that person who knows Jesus Christ is now with the Lord. Isn't it joyful? He's now resting from all his labors. He has finished his work. And, and the amazing thing is, there's hope. You see, we will see him or her again. Isn't it joyful? So even in death, we can be joyful. You know, in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, right? We heard study that last year. The, come on, you tell me. <laughs> what is it? What is our strength? Yes, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Pray always. It doesn't mean that we get to go on our knees and pray. No, have a prayerful attitude all the time, in other words. Whether you're driving, God will prompt your spirit and you, or you see some incident, you pray. Pray always. You know, you know it's very uh, special for us at this season now when we are in the midst of what we call the Malaysian United Firewall. 24-7, you know, never before in the history of Malaysia has the churches ever been so united. Night and day, day and night, 24-7. And you know something? We're going to go 40 days. Started one week. Churches came together. Another week, more churches came together. And now we're going for 40 days. Whether it's small church or big church, Tamil church, in uh, a Chinese church, Karazan church, BM church, whether families, workplace. Hey, we pray. Even as we begin to pray, things will move. Amen. We worship. This is so important. And that's what we are doing. We need to pray all the time. And oh, the third one is so important, my friend. Give thanks always. You know, those of you who have heard me speak, chew on the word sometime last year. And I, and I, and I just expounded on this phrase, give thanks always. Why? Because of three things. Number one, because it is expensive. E-X-P-A-N-S-I-V-E. In other words, in all circumstances, it's expensive. It is also expensive, very expensive, very dear. Why? Because it costs Jesus Christ his blood. It costs Jesus Christ his death. In Christ Jesus, we don't give thanks for the sake of giving thanks. Huh? We give thanks in Christ Jesus because it's expensive. He paid for your sin. He paid for mine. And it's expected. Expected. Why? Because this is God's will. 
Hey, people ask me, hey, pastor, uh, uh, what is God's will? Uh? What is God's will? Always ask me one, what is God's will? Uh? You want to know God's will? This is God's will. Give thanks always because this is the will of God for you and for me. So these postures we should have, we must have. You know, if I were to put all these three together, I cannot put it better than what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, when joy and prayer are married, the firstborn child is gratitude. Can I repeat that? When you have joy on the inside of you and you pray continually, when joy and prayerfulness are married, Cannot help it, one. Uh, you will always give thanks to God for everything. You know, you know, Pastor Nichol always says, darling, I, 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 I married you in a way because you are such a thankful person. It is true. I look for things to thank God for, one. No, I really do. And if you want to look for things to thank God for, there are plenty of things to thank God for, right? The only problem is if we don't thank God enough, Lord. So when joy and prayer are married, the firstborn child is gratitude. The first, the fourth thing about Paul's final exhortation in this passage is not only in relation to the pastors, not in relation to the people, not only in relation to the postures that we must have, but also in relation to what I call the spiritual practices of the church. And he lists five. So these are five spiritual practices in the church. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies in contempt. It's all seen in verse uh, 19 to verse 22. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. If I were to summarize all these five spiritual practices in the church, it is this. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. In other words, allow the Holy Spirit full sway in the church. Don't stifle the Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. That's why in SIBKL, our core values are non-negotiable, inviolable, Cannot change one. What are the core values of SIBKL? Come on, those of you SIBKL, come on, read this loud with me. What are the three core values of SIBKL? Come on, read loud. All right, are you ready? So the three core values of SIBKL are number one, we are Christ-centered. We are number two, Bible-based. And number three, we are spirit-powered. We are Christ-centered, Bible-based, spirit-powered. Why? Because the entire church is led and powered by the Holy Spirit. And we believe in it, you see. We believe in it. But let, let me just emphasize on one of the five uh, uh, practices that, that is so prevalent in a lot of churches. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. What are prophecies? Prophecies are words not so much to foretell the future, but to encourage. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3 to 4 tells us what prophecies are meant to do. So it says here, 
everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. That's what prophecy does. It is not to tell you the future, but to encourage you, strengthen you, comfort you. And he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So prophecies are there to edify the church. So Paul says, hey, don't treat such things with what's contempt. Contempt is the word esothenio, which means despise. Look down with disrespect, disdain. Don't do that. Don't do that. So never, never treat prophecies with contempt, but test everything. Test it to see whether it's of God or not. Let me close. Paul's final exhortation is a prayer. And let me read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23-24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. It's my prayer for you as well, friend, as I close. May God himself, not pastor, not anybody. May God himself. And how does God identify himself? The God of peace. In other words, no strife, no quarrelings, no fightings. Be at peace with one another. Encourage one another. Live peaceably with one another. Sanctify you through and through. I like this word. Sanctify you through and through. And I, I like the BM session uh, 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 translation the best. Let me read to you. Samoga Allah damai sejahtera menyucikanmu dengan sempurna. Menyucikanmu dengan sempurna. Cleanse you fully, totally, through and through. Dan memelihara roh, jiwa dan jasadmu. In other words, cleanse your spirit, soul, and body through and through dengan sempurna so that you and I may be kept blameless. Hey, not sinless. Huh? Nobody is sinless except Jesus Christ. But we can be blameless. What is blameless? Blameless means keep a short accounts with God. Blameless means come to God and repent. Suppose 1 John 1, 9, right? If we repent, He is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so we can be blameless before God because God, Jesus imputes His righteousness to us, not our righteousness. So may your soul, may my soul and my body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love verse 24. Friends, at the end of the day, it's not even dependent upon your faithfulness. Oh, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Friends, at the end of the day, let's live a life worthy of the calling, worthy of us being sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, more so, especially in the end time church. Hallelujah. Worship with the Lord with me. Will you do that? Let's come before the Lord even as we close today. 
Let's come before God and really come before God so that all these 15, 16 rapid-fire exhortations are thus not merely words, but they be something that we take it seriously because we know, we know that even as we see what's happening in the world today, the return of Jesus Christ is imminent and therefore we must get ready. It's an admonishment, it's a warning. Get ready, my friend, get ready. These are the postures. These are the things God wants us to have. Come on, come on, let's worship the Lord, shall we do? Let's come in the presence of God and come to His holy presence. Shall we do that? Come, let's worship the Lord together with this wonderful worship song. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, we worship you, Lord. We enter the Holy of Holies not by our righteousness, but by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Father, we remember the 144,000 in Revelations who were blameless, not because they were sinless, but because they love you, O oh God. I want to pray that all of us will be counted blameless before you, God. Oh God, so that we, we can we approach you, Father Lord. We know the blood of Jesus Christ covers us. And so, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and dominion through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people say, Amen and Amen.